You're listening to Talking Points with Preferred Health Magazine. On this amazing show, you get a VIP look at interviews with some of today's beloved celebrities, book authors, top physicians, and leaders in the healthcare industry. So stick around, you're not going to want to miss what's next. Today's special guest is the one and only Sharon Gless, the multi-Emmy and Golden Globe winning actress for roles such as Christine Cagney from Cagney and Lacey, Rosie O'Neill, The Trials of Rosie O'Neill, and my favorite character, Debbie Novotny of Queer's <laughs> Folk and Madeline Western from Burn Notice, among several other great roles. Her acting career spans over four decades in television, film, and stage. And she is here today to speak about her new memoir, cleverly titled, Apparently There Are Complaints. So let's welcome her to the show. Good afternoon, Sharon. Thanks for speaking with Preferred Health Magazine today. Thank you, Angelina. <laughs> so good to have you. It's really a true honor, I have to say. You're gonna be on the cover of our winter edition for 2022, so thanks for being with us. Oh. And you know, you've always been one of those cool actresses that I've always admired growing up. Like, that's just how I see you. <laughs> Personally, oh, I feel like you're the same way off screen. It must be. It must be true. <laughs> I, well, I am. I mean, I'm not like some of my characters, but. <laughs> so, you know, it's 40 years now um, in acting. You've had some great stories to share, but what made you say it's time to write my memoir? And how did you come up with the name for that? Well, I. I the memoir came into my life. I wasn't looking for it, certainly. I went into CBS for a meeting, which I thought was going to be a new series. And the president, of, after an hour of being there, thinking I just wooed them, um, uh, the president of CBS, uh, Nina Tassler, said, you know, we own Simon & Schuster, and I think you have a book in you. I said, well, Nina, I've never written a book. She said, no, but you're a storyteller. So she had the president of Simon & Schuster call me the next morning. Very nice. I waited a year. I just thought, well, it's really nothing I do. And uh, I wasn't so busy. So I decided I'd take it on. It took me seven years. And you had asked me about the title, of yeah. which I'm very proud. Um, it came out of the fact that I was in Hazleton for quite a long time. Hazleton is the Harvard of the rehabs in America. Oh, okay. And um, I'm sure it's all common knowledge now that I'm alcoholic. Um, I didn't know it, but Apparently there were complaints. <laughs> um, <laughs> when I got out of the Hazleton, somebody said, you were in Hazleton? And I said, yeah. And they said, why were you in Hazleton? And I trying to be witty. I said, apparently there were complaints. <laughs> and that's where the, the time was born. So that's something that just stuck in your mind that you said that to yourself. And, that, and you yes, know, that's what's going to be the name. So I came up with the title before I wrote the book. Right, right. And now, how long did it take you to write the book itself? Seven years. Seven years. Why? Yes. Why so long? Was it something? Was it just the process of getting it, those? Right. Yeah. Together, it's it's or? a it's a process I'm not used to. Was never skilled at. I never even kept a diary oh, as a right. kid. Never. Um, I was afraid somebody'd read it. <laughs> right. And I always tell the truth. Um, and I tell the truth in this book too. Um, but I, I, I realized that I didn't enjoy being a writer. It's a very, very hard, different skill. Okay. Um, but I do enjoy being an author now that it's done. Right. And you're talking to me, I'm very proud of being an author. And, and um, 
I don't know if I do it again. I have tons of boxes left of material. Okay. But I think I, I need a break, a little rest. Okay. That was a, yeah, that was a long journey, but a great one. I mean, throughout the book, what I kind of loved most of all, I mean, there's the highs, there's the lows, there's the great career. But what I loved is that there's always humor. And it kind of has this little thread of humor throughout the whole thing, which is probably just part of your personality. It's who you are. But, you know, has that sense of humor about life in general helped you be this successful, do you think? Yes, I believe so. Um, I've always had a sense of humor. I, I, I laugh at myself easily. Um, I... It is. It, it actually has sustained me. Um, I think I'm funny. <laughs> you <Sometimes>. are. <laughs> I mean, you I laugh are. at my. I laugh at my own jokes. <laughs> That's a true sign, I believe, <laughs> of a good sense. Yeah. Of <laughs> and and um, just having a, a, a great attitude, you know, is is a, has sustained me through hard times and sad times and bad times, I always recover. You've started started nine successful television series. And one of of my favorites being the Cagney and Lacey drama series that you, you know, play a police detective, Christine Cagney, who I loved. Um, But the role at the time, I mean, in the eighties, I felt like was such a kind of an eye opener for so many women. One being that you were in a, a male dominated field, which I, as, as a younger person felt so proud of to, to watch. I mean, were there Thank other women um, who maybe reached out to you and said, thanks you know, for giving me that Oh, many, many. Um, I, we knew we were the only series, dramatic series, forgive me. They had Lucy and Ethel, you know, Laverne and Shoney. We were the only dramatic series ever to hit the, the waves, um, starring two women. And uh, by the time we went through all the Cagneys, I'm the third one, it was controversial. Um, some affiliate stations would not air our episodes. Mm. Um, we told the truth and we told stories that women and, and the country needed to hear about women. You, know? you really did. I mean, you guys, the show itself, I mean, the characters went through their ups and downs, but the show overall, you dealt with, you know, sexism, date rape, breast cancer. I remember that one and alcoholism, um, which is right. something that, that you personally dealt with as well. You know, in your book, you mentioned how you loved that Hendrix dry martini and every day. <laughs> <laughs> should pay me, you know, I do a lot of press, right? But when Cagney was dealing with her alcoholism in the show, mm-hmm. did you see a reflection of yourself there? Or was that unconscious? Not, not at all. I had no idea. Um, when we decided to deal with Christine's alcoholism, she was always drinking, but she was a fun girl. You know, she always had a drink in her hand after five or when she wasn't in the office. But the scenes you didn't see were the ones we finally showed in her apartment. The Cagney you didn't know. And uh, when Barney Rosenzweig, our producer, approached me, do I want to tackle this issue? Um, He said, you said you never wanted to be a victim. And I said, let's try it. And he wrote this. He had the writers write a script just to be submitted to me alone. He said, let me know what you think. No one's seen it. 
And I came back the next morning. I said, it's brilliant. Who are you going to get to play it? I, it was it was an overwhelming task. It was a brilliant piece of writing. Yeah. And and Barney paid me the courtesy of shooting every one of those tragic scenes in sequence. Okay. So I could shoot everything in order so I knew where I had been and where I still had to go. Right. Right. Now, and we got, we got mail from women saying I hid my booze in the steam iron, you know, in the, in the, in the garden hose. Thank you so much. Because, you know, Angelina, in our research, we discovered that when men get drunk, they were considered amusing. Mm. When women got drunk, they were considered an embarrassment. Right. And that was part of the times also. I mean, oh. that was, these things, we didn't speak about that back then. That was, you know, taboo. Like it just was. Well, the cocktail hour was revered. You know, at least in my house, everyone drank. Right. Okay. Five o'clock, the bar was open. And the word alcoholic just wasn't used right and also if you're a fun drunk nobody sees it as a problem it's just once you become belligerent or something like that then it's an issue for others but right Until then it's kind of like you know how do you see yourself if you're the life of the party that's what i said <laughs> <laughs> yes. my agent my agent ronnie meyer took me to lunch at the end of cagney and lacy and took me to dinner and i said i know why you brought me to dinner because I'm putting on weight. He said, no, I asked you to dinner because I think you're an alcoholic. Hmm. Said, how did that, how did that impact you? I mean, did uh, you even consider that something? I was horrified. I was angry. I started crying. The fact that there were four empty martini glasses in front of me. Okay. He apparently told the waiter, don't remove any of her glasses. Oh, I wanted to see what she's doing. And um, I said, you know, please stop. And he said, Sharon, I may lose you as a client. I may lose you as a friend, but I don't want to lose you. So he said, when do you end Cagney and Lacey? I remember this. I said, April 13th. He said, if you're not in Betty Ford by April 14th, I'm doing an intervention. Wow. Now he had I, been the first person to really approach you about your drinking? The first and only person. Really? Ever. Surprising. Yeah. Is it because, like you said, you were kind of the life of the party? You were a happy person well, who drank I, thought I was but as my title says apparently there were complaints I heard you know from other people things I had said that oh, okay I, I admit it all in the book it's it's in there now in your book you also mentioned how it negatively affected your health um I think you said it was pancreatitis that you had oh yes um he, there's that um yeah <laughs> um yes I did get a um I quit drinking for 15 years. And then um, I took it up again, thinking I can do this. And- um, What prompted that? Was that just something you were, a social situation or was it something- My 60th birthday party. Okay. I'd been sober for 15 years. I felt great. I sat down to my older brother. I said, would you order me a martini? Without batting an eyelash, she said, sure. I said, keep it by your table, so in your place so no one can see. So the whole evening, I just sipped on this martini. I don't recommend this to anybody who was sober um, because eventually you always go back. And I did get a pancreatic attack many years later. And the doctor very unkindly said, uh, 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 if you ever have another drink again, don't call me because I don't do suicide. Oh, Ooh. yeah. What was that like? I mean, considering 15 years, um, I know like many people would think, oh, I can handle just one, but 
but you did consciously hide it like you just said you know have your brother kind of you know so what was that about was that more of yourself or was that just for others that was that was for others i didn't want people all of a sudden going she's having a drink right um i just wanted it to be a lovely evening and um no one noticed no one noticed that i had it and i continued drinking for a while and then the pancreatitis pancreatitis hit and i haven't had a drink since and how long has that been now? About six years, I read? And almost eight years now. Eight years, well, very almost good. Years very good. Would you have done anything different in terms of getting help sooner? Apparently not. <laughs> 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 it just, it wasn't a time for me. I had to go through what I went through to, uh, to stop because I wasn't willing to go through that again. Okay. And, you know, I smoked for 20 years and I quit in 2012, but since then it's not one craving, not one thought. So alcoholism a little different. What is everyday life for you? Alcohol free. Is that something consciously that you have to keep in mind not to drink or? No, I, I, I don't mean that it's an easy thing. There's still times where I would love to have a martini before dinner, but no, I don't long okay. for them. Right. It's, it's, it's a, uh, it's a kind disease. If you pay attention, if you listen, what does that mean? It, your body will say, thank you. Okay. The fact that I still want it is an emotional reason. There's no, my body doesn't feel it. Okay. Like I used to every, every night at five o'clock, it must be five o'clock because I'd like a drink. Um, no, it isn't that it's um, my body doesn't ever crave it. It's just emotionally, I like the feeling, but it's not worth it. And a social thing, probably also. Yeah. Kind of triggers, kind of. Sure. Well, let's talk about your roles. I know in 1999, you took the role of Showtime's Queerest Folk, uh, you know, of, uh, sorry, Debbie Novotny, who's the Debbie mother Novotny. of Michael. Great relationship between the two of them, defender of gay rights and women's rights. Um, mm. Your character, she was so bold and. <laughs> so brazen and that's what i kind of loved about her the most um i watched that show for i think all of the seasons um but when you first took the role as debbie did you realize how impactful the show would actually be i thought it would that's why i signed on i called showtime i said i wanted the part i went after it oh really and why yeah. why did you what did you read that just kind of grabbed you well somebody sneaked me the pilot okay and i read it and I picked up the phone and I called Showtime. I said, I want that part. And the president of Showtime got on the phone and he said, Sharon, I like this idea. I think you'll bring a little class to the project. I said, Jerry, class is not what I had in mind. <laughs> <laughs> she was so great though. I mean, fun, fun, fun. Um, you know, I, uh, growing up in New York, you, you're kind of used to that language. So it's, it was just so fun right. to watch that. I I didn't realize, I, I learned more from that character than any role I've ever played. Because I didn't, although, you know, my best friends are gay, but I didn't realize the plight of the gay community at that time. There'd never been a show like it on the air, just like they'd ever been at Cagney and Lacey. Right. Um, and in this instance, I was totally educated. Every episode, we dealt with issues that the gay community goes through, and I never knew. Right. I just thought we all laughed and, you know, and had a great time. And it you was, 
it was show onto itself, especially for that time. Nobody really that just wasn't on the air, it just wasn't being spoken about on a daily basis. And so to watch the show right. and really get into those other characters that you worked with. I, exactly. How was that for you? Like you said, you learned every day of what they had to deal with. Um, it was wonderful. The the boys and I and the women on the show are still friends to this day. And I see them all the time whenever I'm in Los Angeles. And um, it was not that way with Kagdi and Lacey. My very dearest friend is Tyne Daly. Tyne, yes. Mm -hmm. And we have stayed close. But all the other series I've done, and they've been, I've been told recently, nine of them, uh, we just never hung out, the rest of us, socially. Hmm. Um, but, but the Queerest Folk Gang, we do. We was do. it a I, fun I, set to be on also? Oh, it was so wonderful. I mean, <laughs> some, of it, some of it was tragic, some of the scenes, right. some of it was very sad. But they're very funny guys and very courageous. Those men were actors. They're not like, exhibitionists. Right, right. They now you're, you're... on camera. I used to say, I, may I stay and watch this scene? <laughs> it's like, Sharon, go to your room. <laughs> what are we filming here? This is great. <laughs> Well, the actors were protected. When the scenes were actually shot, the uh, rest of the set was emptied out. No, the director was not on the set. Oh, well. Only the actors and the camera operator. Okay, all right. The all rest right. was viewed in, in video off, off the set. Okay, and now you're an active advocate for the LGBTQ plus community and an Very active much. participant also in ongoing struggles, you know, to prevent the overturn of Roe versus Wade and women's oh. rights. Why is advocating so important to you? And is this one of the most important things you've ever done really personally? Yes, I think this show had the most uh, social impact on me, um, queer as folk. Uh, and yes, indeed, I am an advocate to, to save Roe versus Wade. I'm old enough to remember when Roe versus Wade didn't exist. Mm. Right. And I, I mean, fortunately, I never was in that position. but. Um, I have friends who were, and how they survived, I don't know. It was a terrible, terrible time when women had no choice. Right. Um, I, I'll tell you, I, I, I know you didn't ask me this, but sometimes you don't realize when you do a show the impact you're having, because it's not like being on stage where there's applause. Right. We're just shooting and giving everything we have. In the case of Cagney and Lacey, even though we understood it was changing the history of television for women and handling issues that were sometimes never spoken of. Um, I did a, a march on Washington right after we finished. It's when um, Bush was in office and um, uh, Whoopi Goldberg was there. Um, oh gosh, the woman who started the, the women's movement in our generation, Gloria Steinem. Uh, Tyne and I, we all carried this flag. And we, we, it was a long, long, long march. And we ended up on the stage in front of the, um, the uh, Washington Monument. Okay. And they asked Tyne and me to go on. And we did. And I'm actually, I'm shy. Um, and these women, thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of them, went crazy, started screaming and crying and applauding. And there they were in front of the Washington Monument and I'm watching it. And I thought, we did make a difference. 
We did. Television's very powerful. Mm -hmm. And I think we'll have to be responsible for what we put on the air. Absolutely. I mean, your characters, especially, they're so multidimensional. They, you know, good, bad, outspoken, you know, quietly calculating this. Just you played the gamut and just the topics that you've, the characters you've chosen. Have well, chosen. I have to say, I, I didn't write it. We're right. nothing about the writers. I was just lucky enough to play them. And did you choose those characters or do you feel like once you got into the role, it, they evolved? Um, I turned down Cagney and Lacey twice. Um, my producer, who's now my husband, says actors are not always the best judges of material. But I turned it down twice. And the third time I, I went to play it, I didn't. I had no intention except just to do a good job. I had no idea what it would become. Um, Why did you turn down the role? Was it just not attracted to you? Something the first you time I had just finished a pilot where I played a cop. And it didn't sell and I didn't care for it. And I didn't want, I, I just didn't want to go around packing a rod, you know, it just okay. it was two cops right after the other. And I said, no, the second time I was still under contract to Universal. And you can't do a series for another studio if you're under contract to one of them. Okay. All right. They can loan you out. They'll loan you out for everything, but not a TV series. So I said, no, the second time. And then Tyne and Meg Foster, who's a wonderful actress, she stepped in to play Cagney. Loretta Swit had done the first one. Um, and they canceled Meg and Tyne. The, the press uh, called them uh, dykes. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, all that I, was I remember this. I do. I remember yeah. all this. And when I got, when I, and then the blonde comes in, and they call me the Copacabana School of Acting. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. It just made everybody uncomfortable. I asked Ty and I said, who is the enemy here? Hmm. She said, fear. They're afraid of this. Yes. It's never been done and it's in their face and they don't want to know. But the, the audience did come forward when Ty and I were canceled. The viewing audience wrote letters and CBS had to admit they'd made a mistake and brought us back. Excellent. What a great show. I, I remember that. <laughs> I even to this day, I know it made an impact on my life seeing you girls, you know, on screen and going through what you guys went through. Now, fast forward, though, another great show that I loved of yours was Burn Notice, where you, it's another mommy role, but totally opposite, you know, uh, right. kind of deviating off of that, uh, you know, manipulating kind of personality that she was. <laughs> yes, she was. <laughs> I didn't want to play another mother. I thought that, that, um, uh, Debbie Novotny on Queer was the best mom ever. She's the best mom ever. Yeah. And then I, I finally was introduced to, um, to, um, Madeline, sorry, yeah, sorry, to Madeline, <laughs> Madeline um, on, on Burn Notice. And that became another kind of mother. I mean, no spy had ever had a mother. James <laughs> Bond didn't have a mother. And um, they had, they worked that character very well in, into the plots. They didn't want her every week uh, because, I mean, a mother of a spy is not always around. But right. I, find he, I find he was on almost every show as, as it went on for seven years. Seven longest years. series I've ever done. What, what is it about that character that attracted you? Um, well, at the beginning, I thought she was funny. Yeah. And in fact, I thought the show was funny and it was a drama. 
and I was reading the script at home and I was laughing out loud in an empty room because <laughs> um, it was narrated. And I thought the narration was funny, um, but it was a serious drama. And then they started using her more okay. uh, on the capers. It had her go undercover. And it was a woman who was not experienced. Right. <laughs> it was fun to play. It, it, it wouldn't have been fun just as she was stellar at her job. Right. right, she, right. She'd never done anything like this before, but she loved her boy. She had two sons. One son was killed on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't always laughs. Right. No, I know. I watched that show. It was good. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what happens at the end. Do you remember the ending? I don't remember the ending. It's too long ago from my memory. What happened at the end? She ends her life. Oh, God. Why don't I remember that? She does it to save her boy. Oh, God. Her last line is, this one's for my boys. Oh, I have to watch. I one. didn't realize the camera was rolling and I kept rehearsing the line over and over and over again. Sort of practicing. How do I want to do it? Not knowing the camera was catching every single version I was doing. Oh, wow. I and I, so finally they said, okay, it's a wrap. I said, wait a minute. Are we going to shoot this scene? He said, sure. We've been shooting it for the last 15 minutes. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Oh, well, let me ask you, where do you find yourself among all these wonderful characters that you've played over the years? Grateful. I'm very, very grateful for this career I've had. I started very late. I started, I admitted I wanted to be an actress when I was 26 years old. Right. And within a year, I was under contract to the largest television studio in the world, Universal. Right. And they kept me for 10 years. And I'm the last contract player in the history of Hollywood. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And they trained me. Yeah, they trained me. They, uh, they make me go into screening rooms with the head of talent. Monique James, she was the first female vice president of MCA. And she'd run all my little, my little films, little parts I'd get, and make me look at it over and over and over again to see what I was doing wrong. See that thing you're doing with your mouth? Mm-hmm. I said, yeah. She said, stop it. <laughs> I'll teach you. <laughs> I still do it. It's, it's a look I get, and I still do it with my mouth without realizing it. Um, she, she would she would force me to see when I wasn't listening. It was okay. a brilliant, brilliant lesson on an actor really learning to listen. If you listen to your partner, your face comes alive. Right. She said, if you really learn to listen, the cameras, the editor's going to cut to you, even though you're not saying anything. Mm-hmm. She said, because it's, it's, it's just as exciting watching an actor take in information as it is listening to give information. And it made it so fun, made it so fun for me. So anytime an actor would change his reading, I'd change. And so natural. That's a natural. Yeah, that's how it is in real life. I mean, yeah. if you change your tone on me, I'm going to match you. Right, right. Is there any role that you haven't played yet that you'd like to take on? Um, not a specific role. I, I'd like to do another series. Okay. I've done nine of them. Right. I was just told recently, I didn't keep track, but I was told I've done nine and um, Betty White's done 10. I, okay, all right. I love Betty White. I love I her felt, too. Are you, are you like, going I'd for like the match? To the match I'd like to get I beg your pardon. Are you going for the matchup with Betty? Maybe. Yes. <laughs> I love series television. 
Okay. Just love it. I wanted to be in the movies. I, you know, everybody dreams about being a movie star. Sure. Television is so powerful and it lasts a long time if you're in a hit and you, you, you get a family. Mm -hmm. I'd come in, I'd come in a little hungover sometimes and I, I never drank on the set ever. But when they yelled rap, and my makeup man, it, but this is when you have a family. My makeup man would look at me and say, who was, it, who was, this in, who was in here yesterday? Your younger sister? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> he said, sit down, we'll fix it. <laughs> well, when I had to do, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, go ahead. You know, when I had to do all those drunk scenes, and they were very powerful, they did a lot of testing on um, the makeup that it should be as she deteriorates. Oh, okay. And it was change after change after change. No, try it again, try it again, bring her back. And finally my makeup man said, I'm taking all the makeup off of you. I'm gonna send you in on the Natch uh, and see what they say. So I walked in <laughs> on the Natch. They said, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Sure, you felt like a hundred bucks, a thousand dollars. I didn't tell that one in the book. <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you for speaking with me today, Sharon. The book is apparently there were complaints and there were complaints. <laughs> but is, is there one thing that you'd like the readers to take away from the memoir? Oh, that uh, stay happy. Stay Keep your heart high because everybody's going to be criticized. Everybody's going to get knocked. But I always knew that something better was coming around the corner. I just always knew it. I believed. I believed in, in, uh, I believed in joy in my life. I tried never to get discouraged because it doesn't do you any good. Just come up with another dream. If one dream doesn't happen, come up with a new one. And when there's lightning in the sky, make a wish on it. The electrical energy is fantastic. Oh, that's a new one. I've never heard that. I love that. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being with us. The book oh again, goodness. apparently there were complaints. Go and get that today where books are sold. Thank you, Angelina. Thanks for being with us. Okay. Magazine, where I talk about my career and my new memoir.